Welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining us. For many, a new year marks a new beginning, a fresh start, hope, possibility, and change. But what is the most crucial thing we could comprehend to bring about change? Today, on the City Church podcast, lead pastor Jeff Kincaid addresses what creates genuine change in our lives and in our world. Happy New Year. Glad you came to City Church this morning. I'll be very honest with you. When we were planning our services uh, for today, we didn't really anticipate there would be that many, this many people that would come on New Year's Day. So we are, we're delighted to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. If you have a Bible with you today, please turn with me in it to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 in the New Testament, and I will meet you there in just a few moments. Romans 1, 16. I was in a conversation with a friend recently who was talking about a nationally known pastor who's very famous for his emphasis on the importance of one specific aspect of the Christian life. He feels like everyone should really focus on this one behavior. And my friend has really been uh, affected in a positive way by this pastor's emphasis. It doesn't matter who the pastor is, and it doesn't matter what his emphasis is. That's not my point. just want you to know that my friend has been very positively affected by that. Not long after that friend mentioned that pastor, I was in a conversation with another friend who talked about another nationally known pastor that he really appreciated, who's known for his emphasis on a completely different aspect of the Christian life. He feels that if everyone would do this one thing, It would change those people, and it would also change the world. And both of these pastors have written books about those things. As I walked away from those conversations, I wondered to myself, what is the one particular aspect of the Christian life that I'm most passionate about? What is it that I believe that if every Christ follower in the world would do this, it would change them dramatically, and it would change the world as well? And I have to tell you, I couldn't come up with one. And it's not that I don't believe the things that these other pastors, uh, or any other pastors emphasize for that matter, uh, it's not that I don't believe that those things are important. I do. It's just that I have a bias. And I think it's important that you know what my bias is so that you can better understand why I preach or lead the way I do. You know, every pastor is a product of his own experiences, and so we all have a bias of some kind that we come to our ministry with. And this usually has something to do with our background. Well, here's mine. Here's my bias. Here's here's what I mean when I say that I have a bias. I didn't grow up Christian, per se, But the exposure that I did have to Christianity was all very legalistic. Everyone I knew uh, was was really very legalistic. They came from a legalistic Christian heritage. Some of them came from like a religious heritage that told them that they couldn't wear makeup or that they they couldn't cut their hair. Uh, Some of them came from religious uh, backgrounds that said that they have to cut their hair. Some of them came from backgrounds that said that they couldn't play cards. Some of them couldn't go to movies. Uh, they couldn't grow facial hair. They couldn't go to dances. All of these people that I knew that were religious had different rules and codes of conduct 
but they were all at their core very legalistic, which is to say that they were externally focused and they were performance oriented. And by the way, no matter, no matter the particular strain of legalism that you come across, the core of legalism uh, is always the same. It's always externally focused. It's like just on, on, on what you do on the outside. And it's always very performance-oriented, what you have to do uh, to earn the favor of, of God. And so uh, in my mid-20s, when I first believed in Christ, for many, many years, I was just like those people. I was externally focused, and I was very performance-oriented because that's all I had ever known. Now, it was different. It looked different. My form of legalism looked very different than the people that I'd grown up with. The church that I went to really didn't have any you know, uh, odd rules about dancing or hair length or there was, a, there was a girl that I knew, in fact, that uh, went to a, a, a school, it was a Christian school, where she was a cheerleader, and she, they made the cheerleaders wear culottes. Anybody know what a culotte is? Okay, These, for those of you who don't know, they are a garment that, tell me if I'm getting this right, that it's a garment that, that it kind of looks like a dress, sort of. But it's really, they're like two legs, and so they, they go down to your knees. And that was really odd for this girl to wear, to be a cheerleader. And by the way, all the men at her, uh, all the boys who went to the school and all the dads that were at the school, when the other, cheer, when the other team's cheerleaders came out, uh, they had to stand up and face the opposite direction because they might lust for those girls. Now, this is the kind of background that she came up in, and it turned her away from Christ. Now, that was, you know, like, that was all that I had known. The church that I went to, though, didn't have any of those kinds of rules. But I still attacked Christianity the way that I attacked everything else. I wanted to excel at it. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to master it. And had I come across one of those pastors that my friends mentioned who emphasized a specific aspect of the Christian life, I promise you they would have loved me. I would have been a, I would have been a star performer at their church. As it was in my own church, I was often called on to give uh, testimonies of how the gospel had changed my life. One particular parachurch ministry that I was a part of uh, interviewed me on the radio because of my commitment to Christ, and I was thrust into leadership positions in my church because I was doing so many good things, and I was changing so fast. But what you couldn't see on the outside was that I was dying on the inside. I was slowly being crushed by my emphasis on externals and performance for God. And inside, I got to tell you, I mean, I'll just be very honest with you. While I was getting all of this praise from people for how much I was growing spiritually, I was growing a deep-seated hatred for God inside and also a deep-seated hatred for other people who weren't feeling as miserable as I was feeling on the inside. What I later came to understand was that while I had genuinely believed in Christ, I flat out didn't understand the gospel. Now, look, yes, I could, I could tell you absolutely that Christ died on the cross for you, 
I could tell you that you needed to believe in him because you're a sinner. I could tell you that as a result of believing him that you would have been forgiven and all of that stuff. I had that down. I, I, I learned the, some of you are familiar with this uh, terminology. I learned the four spiritual laws and I learned the Roman road to salvation and I learned the evangelism explosion techniques and, and all of that. I, I had all of that down. But I had no real understanding of the gospel and how it applied to my daily experience as a human being and as a follower of Christ. And so what I learned through that experience in my life as I reflected on it later on is that you can be a star performer at any aspect of the Christian life. You can be a star Bible study, uh, a Bible student. You can be a star prayer. You can be a star... Um, missionary, you can be a star evangelist, you can be a star worshiper, whatever. But you can do all of those things in a self-centered, externally focused, and performance-oriented way. Now, you need to understand, again, as I said, every pastor's emphasis or his bias is a product of his experience. And so here's Here's just, let me say it very clearly, what my bias is as a result of my past experiences. I believe that most people inside the church and outside the church don't really understand the gospel. That much of what happens in church and in the lives of Christians isn't genuine gospel transformation. It's just a combination of personality combined with church peer pressure, perhaps. And it's merely external. And it's not internal the way that gospel transformation is to be. And that this is one of the reasons why the church in America is so weak. Let me, say, let me just say it this way. Let me put it up there on the screen so that you can understand. Unless you understand the gospel... All of those good things that you were doing are actually strengthening the roots of sin in your heart. They're actually strengthening the roots of sin in your heart. And so while I couldn't come up with any one thing as I was reflecting on, you know, what's the one thing that I believe that everybody should do? I couldn't, even though I couldn't come up with any one thing that I think that if all Christians would just do, it would change them and it would change the world. What I did come away with as I thought about my own life and my own emphasis, I came across, this is the one thing that I think, I came across one thing that I think every Christian must understand to be genuinely changed and to change the world. And that one thing is, it, is the gospel. I couldn't come up with something that you have to do. But I did, I did come up with this Sense that if everybody just understood the gospel, if every Christian really understood the gospel, that it would change them radically and that it could change the world too. And so as we kick off the new year uh, today, I thought I would just take the time this morning to help you understand three realities about the gospel that some of you may not understand which may well be keeping you from experiencing the life-changing power of the gospel. And it's here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 17. This verse, by the way, these verses, the whole book of Romans is written by very famous apostles, some that 
one that many of you have heard of before. His name is the Apostle Paul. Uh, it's through his work largely that the local church in the world came to, to, uh, to be and has been established. And Paul says to the Romans here in Romans chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, here are three realities about the gospel that you may not understand, but that you really need to understand. Here's the first one. And by the way, those of you who have attended our best news ever class will recognize this point. Here's number one, that the gospel is news rather than instruction. It is news rather than instruction. Now, here's what I mean. As famous as Paul uh, had, uh, has become and as revered as his words have become, in his day, he had many strong religious critics and opponents. And one of their arguments was that Paul was teaching, among other things, a gospel that promoted sin and licentiousness. Now, you need to understand, this is something that legalistic people still say today. What they want for me as a pastor is to, uh, when I preach the gospel, is to lay down the law with prospective converts and new converts and instruct them on what they must do and what they must not do if they want to be followers of Christ. And if they violate that law, either they will lose their salvation or God will not bless them in some way, usually with respect to physical health or financial gain. They want me to do that. They wanted Paul to do that. Okay? But that isn't the gospel. If you say, you must be baptized to be a Christian, that's not the gospel. If you say, you must take communion weekly to be a Christian, that's not the gospel. If you say, you must give 10% or God won't bless you, you're not preaching the gospel. If you say you can't dance and be a Christian, that might be really good advice if you can't dance like I can't dance, but it's not the gospel. Why? Well, the word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. The EU, the U part, means good or joyful, and the angelion part refers to a herald or a messenger. You have to understand that in Paul's day, there were no newspapers or TV stations or any other media outlets. And the only kind of social media that they had were what were called heralds. So for instance, if we were a small village uh, in a remote outpost of the Roman Empire, the only way that we would know if, for instance, Rome had won a battle was if a herald from the empire would come and announce in our town square the good news that Rome had won. And then we would go home in joy. And then the herald would move on to the next village and he'd proclaim the good news of Rome's victory to them as well. That was, that was social media in Paul's day. Now, if you think about it, the people, didn't, the people who received that news didn't have to do anything. Like, he, like the, the herald wasn't saying, well, okay, so, so if you do this and this and this... Rome will win the battle. No, 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 no. He was saying Rome already won the battle. It's in the past. 
It's already been won. I'm just telling you about it. Okay? That's all he's saying. Now, that's the spirit of the word gospel. It is news rather than instruction. Now, I'll tell you how, uh, that you, how you know if you understand this or not. If you have never believed in Christ this morning, and you're saying to yourself right now, um, I, I can't really, I can't believe in Christ. I can't, I can't really start coming to this church. I can't, I can't become a Christian until I clean up my life and get my life together. If that's what you're saying in this moment, then you don't understand the gospel. You're thinking of the gospel as instruction, not news. You're thinking about the gospel as something that you have to go do. Here's the thing. The gospel is not about you. Paul says in verse 16 in these verses that the gospel is the power of God. It's not about you. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. From Buddhism, from Hinduism, from Islam, from Mormonism, or from any other kind of legalistic uh, pseudo-Christianity. Every other religion of the world says that you can be saved or blessed or accepted by God or you can join our religion if you believe in our God and obey the instructions of our teaching. See, that's, that's, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's instruction. Here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to say. Here's what you have to not do. Here's what you have to practice if you want to be part of our religion. That's not what Christianity says. Christianity says, no, it's not about your self-discipline and your moral power. It's about God's power. And if you can get your head and your heart around that, the gospel will flat out change you into the person that you have always wanted to be. The gospel is news, not instruction. Now, I'm going to tell you, those of you who, who have believed in Christ, how you can know if you don't understand that point of the gospel. If you're sitting there in your seat right now thinking, yeah, Jeff, but you got to start telling these people all the stuff they're supposed to do and not do, then you don't really understand that the gospel is news, not instruction. Is there a place For teaching about sin and for teaching about obedience, absolutely. But not out of fear and guilt and shame and all of those things. All of that is taught as a result of a person believing in the gospel and understanding that out of love for you, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Then, all of your obedience is because of love. It's not because you have to. It's not because you're afraid you're going to get kicked out. It's not because you're afraid you're going to lose your salvation. It's not because you're afraid that somebody from the church is going to you know, come, and, uh, come to your house and challenge you or something like that. It's, it's, it's because you love Christ and you just want to. You want to show him your love. The gospel is news rather than instruction. That's the first thing. That's the first reality that you need to understand about the gospel. Here's the second one. The second one. The gospel is about God's righteousness. It's not about yours. Look at verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Um, I used to be very intimidated by by the word uh, righteousness. Uh, Maybe because it sounded like a level of moral purity uh, that I felt was unachievable for me. Maybe it was because it just seemed like a very complicated theological word. I don't know. 
But I was very intimidated by this word righteousness for a long, long time. I don't want you to be intimidated by this word. What I want you to do, I want you to take this word righteous out of the theological context for a moment. It wasn't until someone explained to me that the word righteousness is really a relational word. It wasn't until then that I began to understand it. And here's what it means. It means to be right with someone. It means to be received by someone, to find favor. Like to be welcomed by someone. And the opposite, the antonym of righteousness isn't immorality. That's what some of you are thinking. It's not. The opposite of righteousness is rejection. It's like to be rejected by someone. And you see, if you think about it, all of us, Christians, atheists, Muslims, uh, agnostics, we're all striving, we're all longing to be righteous in someone's eyes. All of us want to know that we're acceptable, that we're okay, that we're worthy of favor in someone's eyes. Maybe it's our own eyes, maybe it's certain people's eyes. But all of us have some set of standards that we feel like that we have to reach to be worthy and to be acceptable. And that set of standards, whatever they are, those standards become your righteousness. The Bible says that all of us are trying to cobble together a righteousness of our own. But the problem is that when we try to cobble together a righteousness of our own, it leaves us feeling guilty or anxious or shameful or fearful. Or if you think you've accomplished all of those standards, it leaves you prideful. And I wonder what your, wonder what your righteousness is. What is it? So some people, um, some people say to themselves, "Well, you know, I have to be a successful business person to feel worthy." And if that's your righteousness, you will drive yourself to the ground to get there. And if you don't, you'll feel guilty, right? Maybe you have to have perfect kids. Like you just, you just have to be, you just have to have all of your kids be perfect. Let me tell you something: you will drive them into the ground. And, if, and, and, and here's the honest truth. If they don't turn out the way that you want them to, you will end up either hating them or hating yourself. Feeling guilty, feeling shame. You didn't do the right thing. You didn't do a good enough job. That's what will happen. My brother-in-law is a, is a football coach of a large high school in Texas. And I just uh, spent some time with him this last week. I want you to imagine how insecure he would be and how anxious he would be if his righteousness depended upon wins and losses. Now, I'm not saying it does. I, I don't have any, inclina- I don't have any uh, sense that his righteousness is dependent upon that, but imagine that it is. That would mean his whole sense of worth would depend upon high school boys to do what he wants them to do. How would you like that? Do you know that there are people, these are people, high school boys are people who auto insurance companies charge a fortune to insure because they know their brains aren't fully developed yet, and so they're going to do things that make sense to no one but themselves. Imagine if all of your sense of worth depended upon those people. He would be constantly anxious and constantly insecure if that were his righteousness. It's a terrible way to live. 
trying to cobble together a righteousness of your own. It's a horrible way to live. Paul says that the gospel is not about your righteousness. He says that the gospel is about God bestowing upon you righteousness simply by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means in verse 17 when he says that it is a righteousness that is by faith, by faith in Christ, what he did on the cross for you. It's a righteousness that comes by faith. Simply by believing that that Christ on the cross took what you deserve, you are given the very righteousness of Christ. And, And so please understand, folks, this isn't just a religious righteousness. It's not just a spiritual righteousness. It's a whole life righteousness. You can once and for all, in every area of of your life, know that you are worthy, that you're acceptable, that you're welcomed in the highest courts of the universe, regardless of your performance at anything that you do in your life, even your Christianity. And that's peace. That brings peace. A pastor of the name of Tim Keller uses an illustration to make this point, to help people understand this. It comes from a TV program that I really haven't watched. I've seen, you know, I've seen it across my screen a few times, but uh, the program's called NCIS. Anybody familiar with NCIS? Okay, NCIS stands for, by the way, Naval Criminal Investigative Services. And he uses an illustration from this show to explain the significance of being given Christ's righteousness. He talks about one particular episode. That It's an episode about a poor, uh, broken-down old man. He's a former Marine. He's in his 80s, and he's accused of murder. And at one point, uh, apparently these two big, uh, beefy Marines and a snarling Navy lawyer come after this poor little old man. I think he's accused of murder. They're about to arrest him. And they're overshadowing this guy. Here, here he is. He's standing in their presence, and he's accused. And as they stand, and they're about to cuff him, a friend of his pulls the old man's tie aside. And under that tie is the Congressional Medal of Honor. Because on Iwo Jima, he had done acts of extraordinary valor and bravery beyond the call of duty. And he'd been given a Congressional Medal of Honor. Now, as soon as that is pulled aside, the Marines and the snarling lawyer immediately snapped to attention and saluted. They were in awe, just like that, from seeing that medal. Keller points out, he says, this is, this is an image of what it means to be given Christ's Righteousness. It doesn't mean that suddenly you do righteous things all the time. That's that's not what it means. What it means is that when you believe in Christ, you suddenly become covered with Christ's medals, his glory. If you believe in Christ, you're covered with all of the awards and the medals of of his valor and his cosmic bravery, and his moral perfection, because he took on evil and he went down to death. All that he deserved is now on us. And now the whole universe salutes us. Now God himself delights in us. We've become the righteousness of God in him. Christ is our righteousness. 
You see, the gospel is about the righteousness of, of God. It's not about your righteousness. You didn't earn the medals. Jesus did. Now, those of you who would consider yourselves Christians today, you need to understand that this thing about Christ's righteousness, about being covered with all of his medals, you need to understand that this is as true today as it was the day that you first believed in Christ. Okay? You see, what happens to many of you is exactly what happened to me. You, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ one day in your past, and you're saved by grace. You get that. But the rest of your Christian experience, you act as if your behavior can lose all of those medals by your failures, or you can win more medals by your successes. And so you're constantly trying to earn back the ones that you've lost and to earn new ones for yourself. And you end up living in insecurity and anxiety and fear and guilt and shame, just like people who don't know Christ. I want you to understand that is so not necessary. You are covered with Christ's medals and ribbons and trophies, and that's that. They can't be taken away. You can't earn more of them than Jesus. You say, man, I don't feel feel righteous. You don't know how I've blown it. That's what you say. But let me tell you something. How you feel and what you have done doesn't change anything, good or bad. You are covered in Christ's medals. And as a result, even when you legitimately don't feel righteous, the whole universe stands and salutes you. That's what it means when it says that the gospel is the power of God, that it's God's righteousness given to you. You can't gain any more of it, and you can't lose any of it. At the moment that you feel like, man, I just obeyed God in a way that I'll bet he's excited about. God doesn't love you. You're not not given any more medals than you were already given. Because you've been given all of them. The whole storehouse of medals have been given to you. And at the moment that you fail in a way that you're so ashamed of, that you feel terrible about, you haven't lost any medals. All of the medals of the universe, all the medals of Christ have been put on you. You're covered with them. And the whole universe stands and salutes you. And if you are constantly fighting to earn back and to win more and all of that, you don't understand the gospel. I think many of us that are Christians live like this. We're saved by grace. And then the rest of our Christian experience looks like this in terms of how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about God's love for us. It's up and it's down depending upon our performance. You know what? That's not the way it works. The gospel is as important to your life today, Christian, today as it was the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ. Those of you who are here that have yet to believe in Christ. Your therapist or maybe the self-help book that you just read last week tells you that you should just feel great about yourself and know your value as a human being. Listen, if you could do that, you wouldn't be reading that book. You wouldn't be going to that therapist, right? 
None of us are self-validated. We all need someone else's validation. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a boss, a coworker, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's, it's some other relative, who knows? But we all need someone else's validation. And so you keep trying to get someone's validation by cobbling together a righteousness of your own when God is willing to give you a righteousness that is better than any that you could cobble together and that doesn't go up and down dependent upon your performance and that isn't dependent upon what anyone else says or thinks about you. You can finally live in peace. That's the gospel. Don't you want that? Wouldn't that be a good gift? Yeah, that's it is. It's a great gift. It's the best gift in the universe. But you think to yourself, oh no, I got to I got to I got to get my life together first. That's not the gospel. What is your righteousness? Christian, those of you who don't believe yet, what is your righteousness? What is it that you're trying to cobble together to earn some sense of I'm worth something? What is it? Is it success? Is it something having to do with your parenting, your kids? Is it it money? Is it it, uh, a promotion? Is it is it your spiritual life? You, you, you've got to be known by everybody as a prayer warrior. I don't know. But let me tell you something. None of that's worth anything. The only righteousness that's worth anything is Christ's righteousness. And you can be covered by all the medals of Christ. without it depending upon anything that you do or don't do. That's a gift. That's a gift. The gospel is about the righteousness of God, not your righteousness. Okay. Here's the third thing that I want to show you, the third reality of the gospel that I think a lot of people don't understand, and that is that the gospel is for everyone. Paul says in verse 16, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, those of you who are with us on Christmas Eve know that I spoke about this at length, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. But I want you to understand that when a person is saved from something, they are also saved for something. The gospel brings a salvation from a life of constant striving to measure up to some standard to a life of peace of knowing that you're accepted. Because God values you so much, he sent his only son to die for you so that your sin of attempting righteousness apart from Christ could be forgiven. And so that you could be given the very righteousness, the very worthiness of Christ himself. And this is available to everyone. It's not just available to people who are born in America. As I said on Christmas Eve, the great news about the gospel is that it is inclusive of everyone. See, the gospel, unlike religion, religion is just for good people. If you can be good enough, if you can be moral enough, then you can be part of our religion. That's what religion says. That's great news for the moral, but it's bad news for people like me who can't pull our act together. God, the gospel is good news for everyone. It's good news for the Jew. It's good news for the Gentile. 
It is good news for the irreligious types. It is good news for the religious types. It's good news for everyone. This was the heart of Paul's message. It's what he believed in, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not ashamed to preach this gospel. Now, just coming full circle, this is what I came away from my reflection about the one thing that I'm convinced of. And as I said, if I believe that if every Christian understood this gospel and, and lived it, it would change them and it would change the world. Look at the last line of this passage. Paul says, he says, the righteous will live by faith. Do you see what he's saying? Those of you who were so worried earlier on that I, I was, that, you know, maybe, maybe he's preaching a gospel, an easy gospel, you know, like easy believism. Maybe he's promoting a life of licentiousness. You know. Notice what it says. The righteous will live by faith. That when you understand the gospel, that it is news rather than instruction, that it's about God's righteousness, not yours, that it's available to everyone, that it comes by believing in Christ's death on the cross rather than your own efforts, then you will begin to do things that can only be described as supernatural and that can change the world. And it will be a result of being changed internally And so it will ultimately manifest itself externally in a way that can change the world. It's not that it will leave you the same person. It will change you internally. So the things that you want, the things that you live for, the things that you used to do, you won't do anymore. And that you will want to do a whole new set of things. But it's a result of being changed internally. And I got to tell you, I'm not ashamed to say that that is the one main thing that I believe and that I emphasize here at this church. Here's a New Year's resolution that would be the most powerful resolution that you have ever made. For those of you who have believed in Christ, make this resolution that every day you will preach the gospel to yourself. Now, what I mean by preaching the gospel to yourself, I don't mean that you get saved every day. The you know, Bible teaches that once you're saved, you're, you're always saved. I don't mean that. I just mean that every day you're reminding yourself that the gospel is news rather than instruction, that it's God's righteousness, not your righteousness, and that it's available to everyone. Preach that to yourself every day. Remind yourself that you're covered with Christ's medals and that your performance doesn't change anything. And I believe that if you'll preach that to yourself, you'll begin to own that in a way that will change you internally and change you externally too. For those of you who have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, can I just say to you that today would be what a great way to start this year by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not waiting until you get your act together. But believing that the gospel is news rather than instruction and that it is God's righteousness, not your righteousness, and that it's available to you this morning by faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross and not what you do and not what you've done and not what you will do. But today, as you are, Christ's righteousness can be given to you. That would be a great way to start the new year, wouldn't it?
want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And if, if this is new news to you, if you've never heard this before, today would be a great day just in the privacy of your seat, by faith, to just say, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Be my Savior. I need your righteousness, not my own. And if you do, if you have believed in Christ, this would be a great time to start a New Year's resolution that you're going to remind yourself by preaching the gospel to yourself every day. You're going to remind yourself that I need you, Lord Jesus Christ, too. I need you every hour of my life. I didn't just need you when I came to Christ, when I came to believe in you. I need you right now. This would be a good day to just remind yourself of that truth. Lord Jesus Christ, may we become a people as a church that live by faith, that live out of the righteousness that you have given us, that our motive for the things that we, we, we do would be a love for you and a love for people that comes from you. And that as a result of that, Lord, that you would use us to change this city. Lord, would you help us to understand this real, these realities about the gospel? And would you change us internally as a result? For those, Lord, who don't, who've never heard it before, I just pray that in this moment that you would um, speak to their hearts about this. Lord, tantalize them with the peace that could come from that rather than the anxiety and the struggle and of always having to cobble together your own righteousness. Would you just tantalize them with that peace? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We are not worthy of the righteousness that you have given us. But Lord Jesus, we trust in your righteousness by faith. It is in you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we live, that we worship, and that we pray this morning. Amen. Change is possible in your life, in mine, and in our world. But genuine change doesn't come about in the way we may think. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for anyone who believes, changes men and women from inside out. Imagine what this year could be like if we were marked by this kind of change. Thank you for tuning in to the City Church Evansville podcast. If you're in the area, please join us this coming Sunday at 9.15 or 11 a.m. We're located at 314 Market Street in downtown Evansville.